ecclesiology, the study of the church. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I'm sure everybody that's come up here and taught on the ologies, um, whether it's pneumatology, bibliology, soteriology, um, any theology really, they've, they've all said and started with, now I'm not going to be able to say everything that I'm going to need to say in this amount of time that we've been given, um, which is true. I mean, ecclesiology literally could take weeks, and if not years. I mean, just consider, we talked about church governance at this church for like a year and a half, didn't we? Elders, eldership, we talked about it for a really long time. And, and elders and leadership, church governance is a part of ecclesiology, okay? And so I'm going to attempt um, to do this all in one week today. And so I'd like to call this more so a, an introduction to ecclesiology because pretty much everything that I said won't be able to be finished. Um, but hopefully this is just a way to spur you on to do ecclesiology in your own study. And, and, and really, whether you believe this or not or whether you know this or not, you all have in ecclesiology already. And, and one of those worksheets, is it's, it's, a, it's an outline, but on the, on the flip side, even though it's summer and you guys are all out of school now, ha ha ha, man, this is a, this is, this is room, right? All right, hey, wake up a little, Gra- grab some coffee. Where's mine? It's up here. Um, but, but there's an outline, and on the back side of that outline, there's a, there's an essentials list, a church essentials list. And I want you to just take a moment and fill, and, and fill that out to the best of your ability. What is, how do you view church? What do you view as most important? Put number one for obviously the most important and, and then keep going and, and until you fill out the whole thing, okay? And then we'll talk about it for, for a brief minute afterwards. <coughs> If you have any questions, just let me let me know. Yeah, yeah, right. This is not a good. Thank you, Rick. This is not an exhaustive list of things. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Just this is just a, a few things. How would you fill this out? Things that you would consider uh, most essential to least essential. One. One to what is it? Eleven. Twelve. 13, thank you. <laughs> no, no. Actually, some of our teens contributed to this, of which I'll, I'll tell you in a, a second. You have to find a way to, to put, the, these are the ones. Yeah, they're, they're, again, this is not exhaustive. <laughs> You're not talking about coffee, are you? <laughs> yep. There you go. There you go. If you had just like a minute more, two minutes more. I don't know how long you need. <coughs> All right, just when it hits 42, I'm going to pen we're going to say pens down. You can turn in your scantrons. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, I don't, I, I can't. Yeah, that's, that, do we do scantrons anymore, Miranda? Okay. Okay. Okay, yes. All right, yeah, hey, there you go. Margraphs, they would know. <coughs> yeah, math, that's a math thing, right? Scantrons? Oh. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Work. I don't know how I got to that answer. All right. Yeah. (laughs) All right. 
So we'll, uh, we'll just, I'll pick individuals and you'll just read your list for us and we'll go from there. So uh, we'll go to Carla Jennings, just read your list, one to 13, just, just joking. But, but like, but was, that, was that a hard, was that a, was, <laughs> was that, was that a hard exercise, easy? This is just to get the ball kind of rolling, right? Again, we all have ecclesiology. We all have an understanding of what's most important in church and what's not as important in church. To be honest with you, I, I mean, after, I think, one through three for me, I mean, one, the church must have a high view of God's word because if they have a high view of God's word, they're gonna have a high view of God. You know, the church must share in most of all my doctrinal beliefs, right? You, 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 th- these, these ones, you know, uh, elders, I think that's a biblical uh, mandate for, for churches. Obviously, that's where we went, so I put that as number three. But I mean, hey, but, but believe it or not, I mean, after that, it's get, kind of getting into preferences a little bit. Um, you know, I think I put... The coffee bar at 12, uh, believe it or not, and, and the church building must be updated and have a modern style at 13 because it'd be better to have coffee and to be in, in, in a dump of a place, right? No, just, yeah, but, but, but anyways, um, just, just having a little bit of fun. But, but anyways, we, if we were to read this all together though, right, and just say our numbers, like just go from top to bottom and read them all together, would we all be saying the same numbers? Probably in a group even this size, probably no. And um, it's just something to get the ball rolling. Um, <coughs> several weeks ago, I took the teens through a quick study of ecclesiology. And I say quick study, and it was like six weeks, which is a lot more than what we're going to do today. Again, introduction to ecclesiology, um, the study of the church. And what I continually told the teens is this. One day, you'll have to make a grown-up decision about church. Will you go to church? Will you not go to church? How frequent will you go to church? What kind of church will you go to? Will you go to a big church, a small church, a hipster church, a rockin' church? What kind of church is it? You know, and, 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 and that, those are the kind of questions that I ask them. You know, what, if you had a family, what church would you take your family to? Um, what would you be looking for? Um, and before we studied ecclesiology together, uh, we, I actually gave them a little note card. And, and told them to ask them to put three of their top things that they would look for in a church if they were in that scenario. Three of their top uh, essentials. And, and some of the essentials that I got, uh, these weren't all of them, but I'll just share with you a few. A church must have a cry room for loud children. <laughs> that was an interesting one. I got that like twice, I think, um, out of all those kids in there. Yeah, yeah, probably, probably. Pos- a positive place. This is, I got this one maybe 10 times, okay, in a group of like 40. A, posit- a church should be um, a positive place where people are only accepting. A church where all my friends go slash people only my age. Uh, music that fits my preferences, Right? And if we were just to look at just these answers as to top three essentials for church, what's wrong with this list if it was just, we were just looking at this list? Say, say, talk to me. Yeah, no God, centered on me. It's all about me, my preferences, right? And that's not to put the youth down. They, there were some really good answers as well. I'm just sharing with you some of the interesting ones. But um, this is, and it's not just a youth problem uh, of thinking this way, right? Because can't we all think this way? We can all think that church centers and revolves around me, myself, and I, my preferences, right? And not all preferences are bad when it comes to church, right? Like, I prefer that in this room where we, you know, do worship together, that we have chairs and lights and central AC and heating in Johnstown, Ohio, right? It's helpful. But when do preferences become a bad thing? When do your personal preferences on how church should function, when does that become a problem? When can that become a problem? Talk louder. I'm, I'm deaf. I can't hear anything. I'm not really deaf, but I, can't, I can hardly hear you. Say it again. Yeah, when it takes our eyes off Jesus. When it violates the word of God. Any others? Leads to compromise. Yeah. I mean, what I, what I have written down is when these preferences supersede God's word in importance. Um, the Bible, it, it's not silent 
on the doctrines of the church. It's not silent. It has much to say about church, the Bible does. How uh, the church should function, what the church is, what the church does, right? How it functions, etc. And it feels like the times that we're living in now, it feels like the times that we're living in now are forcing us to get stronger concerning the doctrines of the church. It's forcing us to answer tough questions, which is a good thing. Uh, We need to stop being so confused about church. We need to be sure concerning what the church is. We need to be sure concerning uh, what the church does and um, and be sure concerning who leads the church. And (coughs) because think about this too. Is it possible, you know, we see this in Canada, we see this around the world, but is it possible that this church in Johnstown, Ohio, JIBC, that we face persecution one day? Is it possible? It is, right? It is possible. Um, do you think it's true that, that, that the New Testament um, tells us that, or, or, or commands for the church to function in a certain way? Yes? I, I, is it true that in the New Testament, um, God's word exposes churches that are doing the right thing and the honorable thing and churches that are not doing the honorable thing? then shouldn't we, if, if the answers to those are yes, shouldn't we then strive for our church to be bibline, to, to honor the Lord in the way that we function? <clears throat> How about this question? Should the members of a church, just the members of the church, should you guys be studied up on ecclesiology? Is it, why is it important or why is it not important for the members of a church to, to, to know what the Bible has to say about church? Or is that just like an elder thing? Is that just for the leaders of the church to know how the church functions? Why should the members of the church know what the Bible says about church? So we can be discerning? Right? Yeah? To hold elders accountable? Yep. Absolutely. Any others? Those are all right. Also, you know, like the, the, the you know, the, the church is, uh, this whole format, this structure is, it's, it's it, the metaphor is a body, right? And so if a church doesn't know what the church is, how does the church function? Like if the hand doesn't know what a hand is, how does the hand function like a hand, right? And so it's good for us to know what the church is and what it's called to be so that we can function uh, as necessary. And, and I, uh, <coughs> some of you guys might be thinking, you know, back to our recent year and a half journey on church governance. And maybe some of you are like, please no, PA, I don't want to do this anymore. We've, we've beaten this horse to death. Okay, it's in the ground, it's buried. Let's move on. Let's just go to eschatology. Let's go to the end, okay? Uh, but, but let me encourage you, don't have this attitude towards the church. Don't have this attitude towards the church. Um, this is something I, I want you to search out in your own hearts this morning. And I want you to ask this of your own heart. How much do I love the church? Can you answer that? How much do I love the church? Do I love Christ's church? Is it a big deal for me? Is it something that I prioritize in my life? Or let me flip that around. How much does Christ love his church? <laughs> right? How much does Christ love his church, ABF? He loved it so much that he did what? Yeah, he gave himself, he died for the church, right? Ephesians 5.25, Romans 5.8. Shouldn't we love, and, and, and shouldn't we love what Christ loves? If Christ loves the church in, in that type of a way, shouldn't we then love the church? Shouldn't we love what Christ loves? Spurgeon had this to say about Christ's love for the church. Nothing in the world is dearer to God's heart than his church. Therefore, being his, let us also belong to it, that by our prayers, <coughs> our gifts, and our labors, we may support and strengthen it. So guys, my, my hope, again, it, this is just an introduction to ecclesiology. You know, we, we could spend weeks on spiritual gifts. In, in, in seminary, I had a class uh, where we spent like 13 weeks on just the, the qualifications of elder. Um, we could talk uh, weeks about the origin of the church and the purposes of the church, and there's just so much that we could, 
uh, so many weeks that, that need to be given to this. But, but again, my hope this, for this study is uh, obviously that you would learn more about the church and what the Bible has to say about the church, but that also this knowledge will encourage your hearts to love it more, to pray for it often, and that it would encourage you to use your gifts more frequently and fervently, that through your growing knowledge of the church, we would hope to see Christ glorified through our local body. Yeah, and, that's, and that's theology, okay? Theology, it, it starts with knowledge, right? But theology fails if that knowledge doesn't, doesn't permeate our hearts, okay? Theology fails if it doesn't permeate our hearts. Theology, it starts in the mind, okay, with knowledge. It should then penetrate our hearts and then what, and affect what we love. And then what we love will determine how we behave, right? We, we behave after the things that we love, True? And so theology, it enters into the mind, okay, permeates the heart, and it should, it should change our actions. And so let me, I, I, I've been praying this week, um, this is such a, to study this thing, it, it was so, it was a huge undertaking, because again, all of you guys have different backgrounds and different, um, some of you have been to charismatic churches, and some of you, I mean, you all have different experiences. Some of you have been raised and born Catholic and, and, and whatever, Right? And so to, to, to prepare for this has been a, a pretty big undertaking um, because it could go in all these different you know, rabbit trails that, that this, this study can. Um, but uh, I, I, my, my prayer through this whole process has been this, that you would love the church, you would love what Christ loves, and, 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 and that this would impact the way that you look at church and how you serve uh, in the church as a part of the church. So um, let's talk about the church. What, what is the church? <coughs> Biblically speaking, is it a place or is it a, a, a building? We should all know this, but the church is not a place or a building, but what is it? It's a group of what? It's a group of believers. It's a group of people, right? Um, and, and, and what separates this group, what distinguishes this group of people from any other group of people is, is what? Is it, Miranda already said that, that we're believers. Um, the Greek word ekklesia um, means that those who are called out. That's the biblical word for church in, in, in the New Testament, ecclesia. It, it means those who have been called out. And one theology book says that in the ancient world, the ecclesia referred to a group of citizens who had been called out for a specific task or a specific purpose, of which we'll get to that specific task and purpose in a bit. But let's talk about being called out for a moment. Um, in order to be a part of the church, you must be called out by God. Can we find biblical evidence for that? A, a people called out by God. Um, I, I love this podcast. You can write it down. It's called Just Thinking. Just Thinking Podcast. And on that Just Thinking Podcast, they always say, we turn pages, bro. Um, and, and that's kind of the thing that they do a lot. Um, they turn pages. They use, they, you know, they're, they're scriptural. They're biblical. Um, but um, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of turn, page, you know, page turning here uh, because, you know, that's where we get our theology. It's from his word. And, uh, but, but let me just for time's sake read these to you, and you can write these references down. Romans 1.7. To all those in Rome who, have loved, or who are loved by God and called to be saints. <clears throat> right? Uh, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we exhorted each, other, uh, each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the church is a people called out by God. He must call the church to himself according to his plan. So that is to say that if you are a part of his church, you are only a part of his church by his doing, by his calling. <laughs> when does he call us out? When does he call us? When does this calling take place? It's not when, you know, last week we had Marjorie join our church. She took in, uh, she's, she's now a member of JIBC. It's not when you become a member of JIBC that, this, that that's not when the calling takes place. When, when are you called out by God? 2 Timothy 1.9, 1 
provides us an answer, saying it was God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, he called us to himself. There's hundreds of thousands of churches in the United States. I, I don't, I'm pretty sure that that's true. I don't, I don't have an actual statistic for that, but I'm sure there's a lot, okay? And, 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 and the scriptures, I, I believe the scriptures clearly are saying that you could, you could step into every church building on this planet, right? But unless that you are called out by God, you are not a part of his church. Do you understand that? You can go to a church building all you want, but unless you are called out by God, you are not a part of his church. You must be called. You must be called out by God. That's the, 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 the church is those, are those who are called out by God. The church is also a group of people who have been redeemed. Romans 8.30, if you want to flip there, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, but Romans 8.30, it says, <coughs> and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Take that, just that phrase. Those whom he called, he also justified. Justified, a word that means to, to be declared righteous. This means we are redeemed of all, think about this, past, present, and future sins. How many sins have you sinned uh, in, the, in the present and in the past? I, I don't have a clue. I've sinned so much. I'm a great sinner, a chief of sinners, right? But, but to be justified is to be redeemed of all past, present, and future sins that we've committed. This also means that we've been accepted by God, okay? Look now, we don't accept God, right? If we accept, if it's up, if it's up to us to accept God, then that would assume that we're righteous to begin with. We don't accept God. God accepts us, because of, the, the, because of the, the faith that he's granted to us, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and the imputed righteousness that, that we have through Christ. Imputed righteousness. It's the great exchange, right? Okay, Christ took our sins upon himself. But if we just put a period there, it's incomplete. If we just put a period there, it's incomplete. Christ took our sins upon himself, but he also imputed his righteousness to us, right? It's important to know that, okay? So because, because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, because of the reconciliation of Christ, we are accepted by God and only because of him and his work. We don't accept him. He accepts us. He calls us out and he redeems us. I love these, these, these verbs in Romans 8.30. Predestined, that we've been chose before the foundation of the world. Called, uh, irresistibly, he drew us to himself. That's John 6.44, right? What Jesus says there, no one can come to, to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then we have that justified word that we just talked about, declared righteous. Uh, give Amy Scarberry a, a shout out. She's not here, but, um, you know, I was just here for the first year at, um, <coughs> I was at Impact, and I was frustrated with myself. I had said some really big church words, and <coughs> I kind of just assumed that the kids knew what I was talking about. <coughs> Excuse me. I was saying things like, though, like justification, sanctification, glorification, you know, to these teens. And I'm sitting there like, man, that didn't hit them at all. Like, they didn't understand that at all. How could I explain justification? And I'm sitting there, I'm kind of talking about it, I'm kicking myself, you know, I'm learning a lot. And, and Amy said, yeah, how would you explain justification? Like, she's got the answers, because she teaches, you know, children. She's real good at this. She's been doing this for a while, right? And, uh, and, and I said, I don't know, declared righteous. That's how maybe you could describe it. And she's like, you know, that, that might be challenging too, right? I'm getting some like nods like this. Uh, but, but she said, you know, it's just as if I never sinned. Now, no one ever taught me that. that, was, that they never said that in seminary, right? But that's a, that's a clever way. Just as if I never sinned. Justify, okay? Um, it's, it's important when you do ministry, especially with kids or even adults, you know, to not assume that everybody just knows this language to be able to explain it. Um, but we can find ourselves just saying those words. Um, but, but anyways, justify, declared righteous, Romans 3.24 says, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And, and this is kind of a little bit of a, a, a little rabbit trail, but I just love this. Glorified, glorified. This is what, what awaits us, right? We haven't experienced this glory, but this, this glorified, it's in the past tense in, in Romans 8.30. Uh, and, and it's in the past tense because Paul's trying to, he, he wants to assure the believer, okay, 
of what's to come. Like this is in the bank. You will, uh, you will be in his presence one day. You will be glorified. Uh, I, th- I think that's really neat. But this is, <coughs> this is the spiritual condition of the church. This is who we are. The, again, the church is a people called out by God, justified, redeemed through Christ, and one more, set apart for the Lord. Uh, just as we already read in 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us and called us to a, a not just any, any calling, but a holy calling, a set-apart calling. 1 Peter 2.11 tells the church, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You know, no longer should we uh, live like the world because we've overcome the world through Christ, right? We've overcome it through Christ. And why else should we not live like the world? Because we don't belong here. Where do we belong? Where do we belong? Heaven, right? Philippians 3, 3.20, right? Yeah. The world is dying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no hope in the world, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, where Christ is. We've overcome the world through Christ. First John five four through five says, "For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world." And this is the victory that has overcome the world: our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The church, the church ought to stick out like a sore thumb in the world that we live in. My grandfather always said, he said, uh, um, you know, if the government ever were coming, uh, looking for Christians, would they come and look for you? Would they know that you're a Christian? Would they find you out? Are you living your faith out? Is, is, are, you, are you just doing this on Sunday, or is this a 24-7 all day, every day uh, of the week kind of a thing? We should stick out from this world. What is the church? It's a group of people who have been called out by God, redeemed through Christ, and set apart for the Lord. This is the church. It's not a building, it's not a place, but it's a very special group of people. Just consider this. If you're here right now and you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we're family then. We've been adopted. We're adopted sons and daughters in Christ. Ephesians 1.5, right? I think that's what it is. Um, but but we're, we're, we're adopted sons and daughters. We're a part of God's family. This is a special group of people. This is, you can't just go and find another group of people like this. Uh, you know, the world goes and searches for groups of people like this. They go to the bar, they go, you know, other places. You can't find a people that have been redeemed and set apart for the Lord, right? You can't find uh, uh, people, other groups of people that are a part of God's family like you can in the church. Why did he choose us? What is the purpose of the church? I, I want to talk about that next, the, the purposes of the church. And I, I stole this um, like a thief stealing whatever they would steal. I stole this from biblical doctrine, uh, three E's. I love alliteration uh, where things all start the same. And this isn't like a forced alliteration uh, like sometimes that happens. But this is like, this is gold, all right? Uh, the three purposes of the church. Okay, this won't be mind-blowing to you, but it be, might be a good way to be able to explain this or, or to be able to take this home and, 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 and have, it, uh, have it with you uh, for a while. So it, the three purposes of the church, is, it's to exalt God, to exalt God, to um, edify other believers, and to evangelize the lost. Okay? Exalt, edify, evangelize. Okay? Uh, so first, first E I want to talk about is to exalt God. Christ created the church, true? Amen? Yes? The church is not an invention of man. It's not man's good idea, even though we sometimes can treat it that way, right? But it's not. The church was promised by Christ back in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says that upon this rock I will build my church. He is the architect. He, uh, it, it was uh, established, the church was established at Pentecost. Um, without Christ, there is no church. There is no redemption. And, and so why should the church then worship or exalt Christ? Because one, he established it. And two, right? Two, he purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. So that's a, that's a good text to write down. Acts 20, 28. Or 1 Peter 2, 9, which says that he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Without Christ, without Christ, we're, we're, we're lost, we're blind, and we're dead, Right? 
He is both our Savior and Lord and is worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. 1 Corinthians 6.20 has been on my, my heart this past week. Text that says, we were, we're bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Our, our, we, we think, you know, we, we, we're so prideful and we're so all about us. That's our default mode. Our hearts are so wretched and wicked and sick, right? But, but even this flesh that we have, you know, if we're in Christ, we've been bought with a price. We're no longer our own. We live for him, right? That's what we're called to do is to live for him. Your job is not your own. It's been given to you. Your, your, your money that you have is not your own. It's been given to you, right? Everything that you have, everything that you are, if you're in Christ, is, is for Christ and for his glory, or, or my go-to verse, I love this text, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, you fill in the blank, right? Whether you, uh, I tell the kids, whether you play video games, whether you talk to your friends, whether you're playing with your kids. I don't tell the kids playing with your kids, but I'm talking to you now. Uh, but, but whatever you do, you fill in the blank, right? Whatever you do, do it to glorify the Lord. Okay, that's what we're called to do over and over again. So first eat to exalt Christ, that's the first purpose of the church. Second purpose, edify believers. What does it mean to edify in the context of the church? What do you guys think? <coughs> Sorry, I coughed the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To encourage, to build up, to, to support, to lift up, right? 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 calls for the church to encourage and build up one another. You know, I had a young guy tell me the other day, I, I, I was here on a Sunday, and I, and I didn't see him here. I was like, man, where are you at? Like, I didn't see you at church the other day. Um, and uh, he's like, yeah, I know, Pastor Andy, I was just not feeling it. I was depressed. Uh, I was not, not, not uh, you know, I just was down in the dumps, I think is something along the lines of what he said. Only probably said it in a, you know, cooler way that teens would say. Um, we probably, that's more of outdated terminology. Uh, but I'm like, I, that's like backwards. It's so backwards, isn't it? You know, there are times, hey, are there times, I'm a pastor, and there are times, sinfully, where I don't want to be here. You, you share that sometimes? It's hard waking up sometimes, okay? Uh, and I get that. But like to think, I, I skipped out on church because I'm, you know, I just wasn't feeling it that day. I just wasn't feeling it. It's not because he was sick. He just, he was having a rough go, all right? But like Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, right? And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day, as you see the day drawing near. How do I stir you up if you're not here, man? Right? Like, how do I build you up? How does iron sharpen another iron when the other iron's not here? Right? How can I build you up? How can I encourage you if you're not here? If you're depressed and if you don't want to come to church, that's all the more reason to come to church. That's like, that's the time. I mean, you always need to come to church. Don't ever not come to church, but you need to come to church then. Like that's when you need to come to church because you need built up and you need encouraged then, right? We need to encourage you. Like you, you, you drag yourself to church if you have to. And you come and you grab your dearest brother or sister in Christ and you say, I don't want to be here today. I need encouraged. I need built up. There's just, things are out of line in my life right? We need that. We need each other, right? We're called to edify and, and, and to build each other up. We don't have to do this on our own. Edification of the church takes place through a variety of means, sitting under the preaching of God's word. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All of God's word is what? Profitable. Profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, right? I believe that. I believe. I believe that the, the word of God is profitable, being under godly leadership, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, right? Says that, that he lists uh, godly leadership there. And then he says to equip the saints. They're, they're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up to the body of Christ, right? Or, or practicing the gift, uh, gifts that God has blessed us with. 
If you guys turn over to 1 Peter 4.10. Now, gifts, spiritual gifts, I could get a million questions on this, and we could go into a lot of study on gifts, and there's a lot of good, dear brothers that I've, I've met in my life, even at seminary, and at the master seminary, and, and yeah, I don't know if you know this, but like MacArthur wrote Strange Fire and Things and all of that. You might not know what I'm talking about. That's fine. But like I've had, like I worked with security guys because I was at security there. I uh, shouldn't have been because I'm terrified and I'm a weakling. But, but anyways, I worked security, and I, I had... I had good, passionate debates with these guys about spiritual gifts and, you know, where I stand with that and things. And, uh, but we love each other. You know what I mean? Like, they were good, good, they were spirited, good spirited uh, in, in the sense that, you know, there was no sinfulness there. But um, this is a, a big one, though, that we can argue about, and I, I don't have a whole lot of time to, to do that. Um, that's kind of a, but hey, but all, in all seriousness, I'm kind of rambling, sorry. If you have questions about spiritual gifts, come, or if you have questions about anything that we've talked about, Come, come ask me, and, and, and if we have time with doing eschatology next week all in one week, you know, we'll, we'll bring it back up at the beginning of next time. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do eschatology in one week. Uh, maybe, by God's grace. No. All right, but anyway, uh, but, 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 but look, okay, here's what I want to cover with, with uh, can somebody read 1 Peter 4.10 for me? Shout it out. Yeah, yeah, can you read 11 too for me, Miranda? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I think the church of Corinth is a good model for us of, of what not to do with spiritual gifts right? And if you wanted to, to do more study on that, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 would be a good set of texts to, to read up on. And if you have questions again, come talk to me. But, but all believers, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, all believers have spiritual gifts. We've been all gifted spiritually. And I believe that we have a mix of gifts. Um, we have a mix of gifts that God has given to us. And, and, and check this, right? Even the way that you've been gifted spiritually, get, get this, where does the glory go uh, when it comes to our spiritual gifts? Just, just let's be all on the same page with this. You're gifted, why? Not because you are like, you've conjured up this spiritual giftedness, but from the scriptures, right, you've been given this by God. So the glory for your giftedness goes to him, not to you, right? Uh, in, the, in the culture that we live in today, it's like, oh, you know, I've heard, I've heard the, you know, we need to, I need to speak in tongues and have this, which I believe is a, a real language. I don't believe that it's gibberish. I believe that it's an actual language, uh, but we can, we can spar on that later or whatever. Um, I'm saying dangerous things now because we're going to invite a lot of controversy and things. Because uh, these are things, anybody ever talk about these things? Tongues? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get into a long conversations, Yes. Yeah, okay. But, but I, I believe they're real languages. And, uh, um, but but it, it, it's, it's like, though, we have to conjure up these gifts, and it's all about us, you know, cultivating these gifts or something, and, and, and like, it's up to us. And, and I've, I've been around circles that have said, well, unless you can speak in tongues, you're not a mature, mature believer. Anybody ever hear that before? You know, but we have to recognize it's not, it's not about you. These gifts are given to you by God, Right? Right, yeah. True, true, yeah. Boom. Boom. Yeah, and a talent, an example of talent would be like music, right? Yeah. I still don't know how to play an F sharp, and I could learn how to do that eventually, you know? Right. Correct. Uh, absolutely, absolutely agree, and, and, and that's, that's key. Spiritual gifts are not about you, but they're meant to edify others. That's why we put it in this section, right? It, it's your spiritual gifts that God has given to you are meant to edify other believers, right? They're not, they're not about, about your maturity and, and, and other things, right? It's about, it's about edifying and loving others. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 is written, right? That text that, that says without love, right? Because the Corinthians were misusing their gifts. They were, they, were, they were using their gifts and thinking highly of themselves and, and almost loving themselves, 
But, but spiritual gifts are about loving others and using them for the edification of others. Um, yeah, we're not going to be able to do that. So just, I had that one another exercise. Um, it's that other uh, sheet that you have with all those texts. Um, just take it home and do it, do it as homework. Uh, turn it in uh, next, next week. Uh, I'll, I'll check them all and, and put it on the ABF. I am the, I think I'm the, I am called the Sunday School Superintendent. So I'll put that on your, your charts next week. Uh, so fill those out. Um, but no, that, 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 is a neat, that is a neat exercise because, because I, I, I mean, before I went and did this with the youth, I didn't realize how many one another passages there are. You know, and again, if, if you're not coming to church, you're not only making a selfish decision, you're, you're not only making a decision that's, that's going to, you know, bankrupt your, uh, your, 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 uh, your sanctification, but you're also robbing others, right? Because you're called to serve others, right? And, and, and biblically, you'll see that as you do that one another uh, worksheet or exercise, um, so edification takes place through sitting under God's word, praying together, corporate worship, and even through the practice of church discipline. Uh, and we're so blessed to have brothers and sisters to do life with, to know that we're not alone. You know, consider, what is it, is it 1 Peter 5 eight? the Satan's roaming around like a roaring lion, right? Uh, that, that, that we're in this flesh. We need each other, right? It's, it's encouraging to know that the Spirit dwells in us, and we have other believers that, that God has set around us, that we can encourage one another. Okay, the third E, evangelizing the lost. The Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is called to evangelize? Is it just, uh, again, is it just leaders? We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to evangelize. First Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Or Second Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You know, I, I want to make this clear it is important for us to live set-apart lives, holy lives, okay? And, and, and people will take notice of that. The world will take notice of that. You sticking out like a sore thumb, right? I, I'm thinking back to like, a, I, I sat at a restaurant and I did a, um, I just said thank you or something to a, a, the waitress. And she's like, you're not from here, are you? It's like, I just said thank you, okay? But, but me just saying thank you and her recognizing me being, uh, you know, polite, that's not going to bring her to salvation, right? Salvation comes through what? Yes, the gospel. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17, right? Don't, don't get in the mindset of thinking, well, I just need to live differently and that's my act of evangelism. No, the, the, the act of evangelism is actually proclaiming the gospel, right, to others. It, being set apart and living holy lives is important. It will be taken notice of, but, but no one can be saved by you walking an, old, uh, an elderly woman across the street, right? Do you understand that? We have to proclaim the, 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 the gospel. Um, and that's why I, so, many, so many of you guys, you know, you guys are going back to work. Some of you are, are in the process of going back to work. Some of you are limited going back to work. And I know a lot of you guys that, 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 that have been able to work from home because of the COVID and things have been like really excited about that. But hey, let me just encourage you you know, hey, maybe, maybe it's a good thing that you're going back to work because God has, again, your work is not about you, right? It's about bringing glory to the Lord and, and God might have you, you know, in that place to, 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 to be an ambassador for Christ, right? To proclaim the gospel to others. Though it's nice to keep working from the basement or wherever, it, it's good to be used of the Lord, right? In that way, to be able to, uh, you know, rub shoulder to shoulders with others, <laughs> be able to preach the gospel. Do you agree with this, this, this order? Exalt, edify, evangelize. I think it has to be this order. I like the order because, we're, again, we're all called to exalt Christ. Why do you suppose that edification should uh, precede um, evangelism? Do you think it should? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and when we're edifying each other, when, when you're sitting under godly teaching, you know, when, when, when you were first saved, you didn't know a whole lot, did you? And, 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 but through the edification of others, right, and, and through, you know, sitting under godly leadership and, and, and good biblical uh, teaching and doctrines, right, you become more effective to be able to share your faith with others, to be able to share the, or to be able to proclaim the gospel. Yes. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like that. And I think that, again, it's probably not mind-blowing what I'm saying, but those three E's are kind of a helpful way to understand what the church's purpose is. Um, spiritual authority of the church. Here we go. Eight minutes. Um, you know, though, check it. We've, we've talked about spiritual authority and church governance in our church for the last year and a half or so. Okay, so um, I'm really not, not adding a whole bunch here. Um, you know, practically speaking, what's leadership? Just in a general sense, what's the benefit of leadership? It's to keep things from being just completely uh, chaotic, right? And God is a God of order, is he not? He's a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us that God is a God of order. Uh, and, and God undeniably installs leadership within his church to keep the church from being total anarchy. Um, Jesus, obviously, is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Colossians 1.18 says it plainly. He is the head of the body, the church. And because Jesus is the head of the church, what, what should we then do? Because he's the architect of the church, what should we then do? We need to submit to his blueprints. He's laid a blueprint down, right? I don't know how to build anything. I don't know how to use a hammer. Okay, but I know that following instructions, I tried to do a Lego thing with my son once. We had, it was like 500 steps, one of those things, and I screwed up on step 183, and, and I had to ask my wife for help because I just screwed, like, because I was up, I was at like 400, and I had to go back like 300, you know, it was math, but it, it was so, you know, you got to follow the blueprint, right? And, and so God has given us a blueprint to follow, and he is the architect. He's, he's the master builder. And so we need to go with his, the way that he's uh, formatted church. For, you know, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says Christ, uh, or for, it says that no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. Um, and so there's no reason for us to, to, to go outside of what he's already given us about church. Um, and we believe that, you know, again, he is given um, two uh, set of leaders to govern his church that submit under his ultimate headship, right? And that is that of elders and deacons. Elders, real quick, called to care, lead, oversee ministries. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.17 actually uses the word rule there, um, and that they let the elders who rule well. Now, I'm not bringing that up to say, you know, Look at us, you know, the dictators that we are. Uh, but no, I think that word rule there, it, it's there to show that they're, they're, they're the highest form of leadership within the church under Christ's headship, all right? Um, and I think we can uh, show that biblically and support that biblically. Um, they're, they're there to teach, to preach, to refute error. Um, how, how, should it, how can an elder know that he's an elder or called to be an elder? He's called by God, number one. Um, you know, it says, I think in Acts 20, 28, that the Spirit calls an elder. Um, two, that he meets the qualifications, uh, which includes desire, which I believe the Holy Spirit gives them that desire. And three, affirmed by other elders. And there should be a plurality of elders. Every time you see the word elders, it's in the plural. What is a deacon? I, there's so much more that could be said. I'm just flying now. Um, what is a deacon? Deaconos, right? Uh, servant leader. That's the way I like to describe deacon. It's not you know, main, it's, not, it's not like the trustee. We, we've kind of mixed the, both of those terms together, trustee, deacon. I think we're still trying to figure that out as a church, to be honest, because we still get calls sometimes from people that, that don't understand the difference between trustee uh, and deacon. But, but I, I see deacon as a servant leader. Much of the eldership uh, qualifications are, are fitting under the deacon qualifications. The big difference, uh, the deacons do not, are, are not required to be able to, to teach. 
um, but they're there to assist the elders and, and serve the congregation in a leadership capacity. Flying. Okay, two pages left. Um, ordinances. What are the two ordinances given to the church, guys? Help me out. Baptism, communion, right? Baptism. Uh, again, we could, th- these are some, some big topics that we could sit on for a long time. Um, Great Commission, we're, we're told to write, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, baptizo, uh, Greek, what, what does it mean? To do what? Immerse, right? To completely dunk them in and leave them under there for not longer than five seconds. Um, uh, shows the, the close relationship with two people, 1 Corinthians six seventeen. but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, right? You're identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, it's an outward symbol of what's taking place inwardly. Um, you know, obviously in the moment that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what I, I believe the scriptures uh, teach and communicate. Okay, so we're all baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation, the moment of justification. Um, and, 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 and again, baptism here is an outward symbol of what's taking place inwardly. Uh, it's not a work of salvation. We also, I, I don't see evidence biblically of, of infant baptism. We do infant dedication, but I don't see uh, evidence of that biblically for infant baptism. Uh, communion. We are to observe this continuously um, versus baptism. It's spontaneous. This is a continuous practice. We do communion once a month. Um, Jesus transformed. It once was the Passover meal, reflecting on um, the Exodus and God's deliverance, right? But uh, Christ, uh, the night before he was betrayed and uh, put to death, right? He transformed the Passover meal and, and, and it's done today to remember, to reflect on the deliverance that we have eternally through his death, burial, and resurrection. I don't, we don't believe in transubstantiation at this church, that the elements actually turn into Jesus's body and bread. Um, that's, that's not what we believe. We believe they're symbolic of what Jesus has done, again, to uh, uh, remember what he's done for us. Again, if you have any questions on this, please come see me. Uh, I'm on the two-minute drill now. Uh, an imperfect preview. This is a good way to just end, okay? An imperfect preview. The church is the only place on earth today where we can get a glimpse uh, of heaven. It's an imperfect glimpse, right? We're, all of us here, I mean, just look at us, right? Uh, we're, all, we're all sinners saved by grace, right? And so this isn't a perfect, this isn't what heaven's going to be like, but this is a place where we, you know, filled, you know, filled with people that uh, desire to submit to Christ, we sing to Christ, we strive for holiness, things that, that we'll see in a perfect way in heaven. And, and, and we really ought to, um, and hopefully you've, you've got this, this message today, we ought to treasure the church because, again, Christ treasures the church. And there's no place, I mean, on, on your Monday, there's no, you know, you're, you go to work or what have you, you might listen to music going in, like Christian music or things, but you, there's nowhere in your week can you do what we're about to do today, to be able to open up God's word with other believers, uh, other, other parts of God's family, those who are redeemed and set apart. There, there's nothing like this, and, and we should really treasure what this is, right? Because again, Christ treasured it. Let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for um, just this brief uh, introduction to what the church is and what the church does. And Lord, I just pray that you would encourage us to dig further. There's so much more to be said and so much more to be studied. And Lord, I just pray that um, our church would function in, in a way that would bring you glory and, and honor. And uh, Lord, that uh, you would... Uh, you would just use this church in, in the community to, to as, as our sign says, to point lives to, to you. Um, you are the only hope for this world. And so, Lord, we, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.